A Swedish woman takes her dog for a walk by a nearby lake. Her husband stayed back on the riding lawnmower to cut grass, then he said he waited and waited for her return, but she didn't come home. As it is now dark, he decided to go look for her. What happens next changes his life forever. Was he telling the truth, or does he know more than what he's saying? Police certainly think the 68-year-old man is hiding something. What really happened that night? Come hang out with me while I talk true crime. Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. You might notice my voice is sounding better. I don't know what was happening with my sinuses, but it has sorted itself out. Let's talk about this case though. This is not a case I have heard a lot about. There isn't too much information I could find on this case. I found most of the information from Swedish sources, which meant I had to translate it to to read it. This case, it's just too compelling to not talk about. So here I am and here you are and hello and let's get into it. This case takes place in a small community with roughly 800 residents called Lofahammer in Sweden. I have never covered a Swedish case before because... Well, there doesn't seem to be a lot of cases coming out of Sweden, or I just don't know about them. But this one, it really caught my eye. Friday, September 5th, 2008, 63-year-old Agnita Westland decides to take their dog Yoke out for a walk. Agnita and her husband Ingemar, they've been married for 43 years. They have children together. They live this peaceful existence on their farm. They are known and respected in the community where they have lived for 11 years. Every summer, Agnita is the organizer of the local flea market and she hosts the market in her barn, which I just love. That is so wholesome. Ingemar, he was also active in the community and he joined the golf club and and several other community groups. Summer would have been cooling down and autumn was arriving on this evening in September. I'm not exactly sure what Swedish fall is like, but I'm sure it's gorgeous. The lawn, it needed to be mowed. So Ingemar, he jumped on the riding lawnmower and he was busy doing that while Agnita left with the dog, Yoke, for a walk around the lake, which was located nearby their property. It sounded like an absolutely gorgeous property they had just beautiful in the article I translated it read that Agnita she brought with her a pack of cigarettes as well which as someone who used to smoke I thought oh that is a nice September evening (laughs) you got your dog you got this beautiful property you got a lake you got your cigarettes it just seems really nice (laughs) all she wanted to do was take her little dog for a stroll in the woods go by the lake go on the shore stop and smoke a cigarette enjoy the water enjoy the peace sounds really nice agnita was also somewhat of a established mushroom hunter so she had also brought along a little bag in case she found any edible mushrooms 
When I say mushrooms, I'm not talking about the magic kind. For some reason, people always go there when I talk about mushroom foraging and I'm, I'm not sure why. To anybody who went there, just know there are a lot of amazing edible delicatessen mushrooms growing in the woods. And if you know what you're doing, I'm not going to say it's completely safe, uh, but it's, it's a, a safe, wonderful hobby as long as you know what you're doing. And Ignita did. Ignita, she was uh, looking for just regular edible wild mushrooms. And I believe Sweden has a very good yield of wild edible mushrooms. My friend Patrick, he listens to my podcast. Hey, Patrick. He has told me about a lot of fun excursions he goes on in Sweden looking for wild edible mushrooms. He's told me so many cool stories, showed me pictures of a lot of cool mushrooms. It's, It's a thing. This was sounding to me like the ultimate autumn evening stroll. Like I am into this atmosphere. Agneta sounds very cool. Sounds like she's having an amazing, it was a Friday and it's September and it's fall. It just sounds so good. So Agneta, she takes off with the dog at 6.30 p.m. Ingemar, he's on the riding lawnmower and the world is good. Everything is, is wonderful in their life. Ingemar, he finishes up with the lawn for the evening. He goes inside to tune into a sporting event at 8 p.m., which he and Ignita were planning on watching that night. But Ignita, she doesn't come home. By 8.20 p.m., Ingemar is thinking, what the hell? She's been gone a long time. She really wanted to watch this event on television tonight. So where is she? Where did she get held up at? He calls her cell phone, no answer. He starts calling around to friends in the area and, and asking, hey, is, is my wife over there visiting you? And everyone he calls says, no, no, she's, she's not here. Ingemar gets to the point where he is so worried, he goes out looking for his wife. It's dark by this time. I think it's around 8.30, maybe 9.00. At night by this time, I didn't get an exact time, but it was around around this this time. And Ingemar, he heads towards the lake on his four-wheeler. He's listening for any signs of movement, for his dog Yoke barking, but everything is still and calm. It's just the sound of his engine. And when he stops to listen, it's only this stillness of nature. And there is something about this stillness that will seem haunting in a minute. Earlier, though, he had heard a loud noise by the lake, like a crashing sound. Ingemar, he gets to the lake, he's got a flashlight, and he's scoping out the area with his light when he notices something on the ground about 10 meters from the lake's shoreline. It was Ignita. She was lying face down on the ground, and she didn't appear to be moving. She was still wearing jeans and the red jacket she left the house in, but Yoke, the dog, he was nowhere to be seen. He wasn't he wasn't around. When Ingemar approaches his wife and attempts to comfort her and, and pick her up and help her, he sees that she has sustained horrendous injuries all over her body. Whatever happened to Ignita was incredibly violent. Her face and chest and legs were bloodied and and bruised to the point that whatever had happened, 
it was horrific enough to to kill her. So Ingemar, he races home. He calls emergency services, but unfortunately there was nothing anybody could do for Agneta. Ingemar, he, he has just lost his wife of over 40 years. He was also a suspect in her death. Police went over the scene. They went over their property. They went over their home. They were poking around everywhere for a, for a long time. There's a lot of investigators involved in on this. And there was a lot of evidence collected. What was just a peaceful Friday night on the farm was now a murder investigation. The next morning, which was Saturday morning, Ingemar was taken to the police station. At first, Ingemar thought that he was going to hear the police tell him what exactly happened to his wife. But then things took a dark turn for him. He was told to strip down to his underwear. He was processed, which included blood being taken, his fingernails being scraped, and his mouth being swabbed. Also, every part of his body was photographed. He was stripped of all his possessions, including his wedding ring, and put into a cold cell. Later that same day, police notified the community that they suspected Ingemar of murdering his wife. They must have had some pretty damning evidence to make such a bold public announcement. Also, the newspapers were printing some pretty unverified stuff as well. What was all this evidence they had then? During police's investigation, they found that Agneta had grass in her wounds. She had many deep cuts and wounds, deep, very deep, all over her body. And it was believed that it was the injury to her chest is what ultimately killed her as it resulted in flail chest, meaning there was extreme trauma to that area. This is the same type of injury you would see if, say, hit by a car. That's how much force was used on her. At the end, I'm going to talk more about this because it reminded me of the Dyatlov Pass incident, which we all know is still unsolved to this day. But I'm going to talk about that at the end of this. The investigators couldn't figure out what caused the injuries to Agneta because it wasn't anything they could recognize like an axe or a knife. It wasn't something common. It wasn't a common tool. It was believed some type of tool that can rotate was used. And one of the injuries they thought could have possibly been from a tire. The lake shoreline that Agneta was found on, it was it's pretty steep down. I saw a picture. It's pretty rough. You're not just going to be driving around there. Um, so where this tire mark came from, it you know, they had a suspicion that maybe she wasn't killed there. Police also brought in a cadaver dog. And the dog, it notified police that there was a scent of death on the farm. This led police to believe that Ingemar killed Agneta with his riding lawnmower, then moved her body down to the lake using his trailer. I have never, I have never heard of a death caused by a riding lawnmower. That sounds just absolutely fucking horrific. That is straight up out of a gore horror film. 
Now, this is where it gets messy. Traces of blood were detected on the mower, trailer, and four-wheeler. This blood, however, was still in the midst of being tested to see if it belonged to Ignita or if it was even human blood at all, which I'm I pretty sure forensic examiners, they can test that in the field to see if it's human blood or animal blood. So I don't know what the holdup was. They had to send send it away for, for these results. And 10 days later, the results are in and the traces of blood found on those items were not even human blood. It's thought that perhaps it belonged to some small animals unfortunate enough to get in the way of the mower, the four-wheeler, or, or the trailer when it was in use. I read possibly from a snake or a vole. I think a vole is a, a small rodent type thing. And then there was an, another theory that it, it could have been rust. So I don't know if I'm assuming there's iron in rust and maybe that would uh, notify whatever they're using that there's blood on it. I don't know. Maybe it's going for iron. I thought it was a protein in the blood, but I'm not a crime scene investigator. So I I couldn't tell you exactly how they hit on this, this blood. Since the blood evidence was no longer even a thing, Ingemar, he was released. When he was released, he had to make his own way home. Police were like, hey, here's your cell phone. By the way, it's dead. Hey, there's a bus over there. Bye. This man is almost 70 years old. His wife has just died 10 days ago. He held her bloody body in his arms and was sent to prison almost immediately. And now they just push him out onto the street and in to make his own way home. And his entire community is now side-eyeing him, thinking that he's a murderer because they released this information to the public saying, oh, he's suspected of murdering his wife. The newspapers are going out. It, it, was, it would have been terrible for him. It's clear there's absolutely zero compassion involved here. But did he do it? The police want to try and improve the theory of the lawnmower murder. So about a month later, they get a dead pig. I will give a content warning here as this might trigger some people. What I'm about to say involves basically mutilating this dead pig. So skip ahead about 30 seconds to a minute if you don't want to hear how police carried out this experiment. It's now October. Police get a dead pig and they get a, a similar riding lawnmower and they run over the pig with the lawnmower to see if it's possible to even cause these injuries in this manner. I tell you, it would have been a weird day at the office for these investigators. That is, that's for sure. They laid the pig out and they drove over it with the lawnmower. And I'm assuming with the blades down and running, which is a very gruesome image I don't care to think about. What they discovered during this experiment was that the lawnmower was actually getting damaged and couldn't have caused these deep injuries they saw on Agneta. It wasn't possible to prove their, their theory, especially because the pig is a lot smaller than a grown adult woman. And if they couldn't prove their theory this way, it must be wrong. It's, it's not plausible. They can't even cause these injuries on something smaller than a human being. Ingemar was accused by police of running his wife over with a riding lawnmower, dragging her body to the lake, and then 
pretending to discover her body. And now this theory has been disproven. Originally, they thought he ran his wife over with this lawnmower. He put her body in the the trailer and he used the four-wheeler to tow the trailer to the lake and then uh, dump her body on the shore and then pretend to find her and be like, oh no, I don't know what happened. But this theory, it's, it's quickly falling apart, but the damage has been done. The community is thinking that he murdered his wife. He's been, he's been painted as, as a murderer. Then in November, Agnita's body, it was released from the, the coroner's office and it was him who had to pay to get Agnita's body back to where they lived so he could give her a, a proper burial. To him, he felt like this whole situation of of having to move her body, essentially freight her body back to him, he, he felt like this whole whole situation was just really disrespectful and that it was just not being handled well at all, like with any compassion. He still wasn't cleared as a suspect though and unbeknownst to him, police were tapping his phones. And he, he did go forward with Agnita's funeral and people, they were still looking at him as if he had done this at the funeral that would have been a very uncomfortable and just terribly sad day for him. So he had to not only bury his wife, but he also had to deal with the community looking at him during this time and wondering in their minds if he had killed his wife. It was a very unsettling time for him and his family and the community, because if he had nothing to do with this, if he didn't do this, then was there a crazed maniac running around the woods? Nobody knew what to think. And in the article I translated, it read there was suspicions towards Russian gangs or German uh, fishing tourists. And that really piqued my interest because has there been issues involving any of these things? things before in in this area it was just a very specific suspect list and I, I just wondered where that came from Russian gangs or German fishing tourists that's what it said so Ingemar he leaves his community and his farm and he goes to live with his daughter because he can't handle everyone looking at him thinking he's a murderer I could just imagine he was probably at the grocery store buying innocent items like garbage bags, cheese, and bread. And all anyone could talk about is how they saw him buying garbage bags or, or something like this. And every interaction he would have had in town, it, it just would have been so awkward. I actually did hear that, I believe it was in the the uh, documentary I watched on this, uh, that there was rumors going around that he had bought a new lawnmower and people were gossiping about him buying a lawnmower. So it, it, yeah, he was just, there was a lot happening and he, he couldn't handle it. So he just left the farm, went and lived with his daughter. Oh, and by the way, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, where's Yoke? Where'd the dog go? Have they found the dog yet? Where is the family dog Ignita went to take for a walk that evening? Yoke, he does return home a few days after the incident and he is unharmed. The dog is okay. 
and there was no evidence of the dog being harmed or abused in, in any way. The dog was totally fine and it, it did come home. So December 15th rolls around and Ingemar, he's called back to loft a hammer by police so they could interrogate him once again. It's it's clear police are still really looking at him. They They don't know how he did it, but they think he did it. And Ingemar, he goes over every detail from that night again, and he tells them everything he told them before. They actually had him recreate that evening on the farm step by step. So he goes over everything with investigators again, actually goes to the farm, and he's like, I was on my riding lawnmower here. She went that way. I, it, bunch of time passed. She didn't come home. I went out looking for her. This is how I found Like, he went over everything. And he continues to plead his innocence and express his concerns that they're looking at the wrong person. And this could lead to him being wrongfully convicted and possibly never know what happened to his wife. Christmas, it comes and goes and still nothing is happening. So we're in December. Nothing's happening except Ingemar is suspect number one still. But then something happens a month after Christmas. January 28th, 2009, police come out with a press release. They issue this release. I'm sure Ingemar has long stopped watching the news because he was probably on it a lot. So he probably didn't want to watch the news, didn't want to see his face come up, didn't want to hear what people were saying about him. But a journalist calls him and the journalist says, hey, Ingemar, how do you feel about this? And he's like, about what? And the journalist says, oh, well, police say you're no longer a suspect. How do you feel about this? And Ingemar, he was relieved, but he's also thinking, police, do they have another suspect? Do they know what's happened? Like, nobody's telling me anything over here. By the following summer, he goes back to Lofahammer, back to his farm. He once shared with his wife for the 11 of the 42 years of marriage. And it's all just too much for him. Although he was finally cleared by police, the community, it just wasn't the same. Nobody had answers as to what happened to Ignita. And therefore, there were still lingering thoughts in the community. Eventually, Ingemar, he he sold the farm and he left town, he, he leaving behind his dream property and what was once his, his perfect life. Since he had been cleared as a suspect, police started looking at other pieces of evidence, finally. Finally, police start looking at other pieces of evidence found on Agnita's body. And why this took so long, I'll talk about that in a moment, but it is, it's shoddy police work. It's bad investigating. There was fur found at the scene that day, and not only at the scene, but on Agnita's body. This wasn't seriously looked at, because they thought it was dog fur from yoke. But it was collected and it was stored in evidence. So they had this this fur. And eventually this fur, along with other unknown substances found on Ignita's clothing, was tested. When I read this, I wondered why it wasn't tested immediately because this is what eventually broke the case open and led police to the killer. But then I found out why and I was like, oh, again bad investigating. On the night Ignita was killed, police dogs traced the smell of an animal. This same animal's prints and scat was found in the area. And yet 
it was very quickly dismissed by investigators. They didn't even go down this avenue. Now that the fur and substances were tested, they concluded on September 28th, 2009, just over a year later, that this animal had indeed been involved in the killing. Experts who know this animal very well, they're asked to weigh in on this. They're asked to give their professional opinion. Uh, look at these photographs and say, hey, is this possible? And so they look at Ignita's injuries and they concluded the injuries were indeed caused by this animal. The fur that was found on Agnita was moose fur. The substances on her clothing was moose saliva. Agnita had been killed by a moose. So when they say, when the, when the coroner or the medical examiner, when he was looking at those wounds and he's like, oh, this is a really weird tool that was used. It looks like something that can rotate. That that injury was caused by the antlers of a moose and the moose would have been sticking her with his antlers and twisting it, it it's just such a terrifying horrific way to die and she just must have been so scared so scared their hooves are so dangerous their antlers are so dangerous and they're just so powerful and oof, I just you just can't believe it you just can't believe it. They were blaming Ingemar for running her over with a riding lawnmower, but it was a moose. It's believed that this male moose with huge antlers was aggressive for a few reasons. Firstly, because it was mating season. Second, it's possible Yoke the dog had barked at, at this moose or freaked out when it saw this, this moose and created a threat to the moose. And lastly, in another article I read, it said the moose could have possibly been eating fermented apples nearby and was intoxicated. A drunk moose. When police informed Ingemar of their findings, he asked them, why did it take you so long to discover this? And they told him, this is what is fucking crazy to me. They told him they were only looking for his DNA. Wow. Wow. Talk about a botched investigation. Isn't that investigator no-no 101? Never get tunnel vision on one sus suspect. Look at other avenues. Look at the scene. Go down paths that are outrageous and see what you come up with rather than focusing in on, on one person. I don't know. Uh, I looked into this drunken moose theory and apparently this happens a lot in Sweden where moose will eat piles of rotten fruit and they get drunk and they do wild things like get stuck in, in swing sets and I saw a picture of one moose that got stuck in a tree and there was a few stories of these drunken moose, I believe even um, National Geographic's covered these drunken moose uh, it's in uh, these moose they get drunk and they just act very bizarre was the moose who attacked Agnita drunk it's impossible to say because police never 
looked for it that night. If they had, they would have found an aggressive, massive animal covered in blood. Moose are very, very large animals weighing in at about a thousand pounds. I've seen moose in the wild and it is hard to fathom how large these animals are until you're seeing it up close. Their legs go up like above my head. That's how tall they are. They're tall. They're massive. Absolutely massive. And I was told by a park ranger years ago when I was at Liard Hot Springs that August is a dangerous time for moose because that's when they are mating. And Agnita was attacked in early September. So to me, this tracked when I heard that. I was like, mm, August leads into September. This was early September. Agnita was attacked. Mating season could possibly go in, into early September. And the reason this park ranger told me was because I think we were there in, in June or July and there was a moose hanging around right by the boardwalk where everybody's walking and I was like isn't that dangerous that's a massive animal and it's just standing there staring at me chewing some grass and he's like oh no it's not August they're only aggressive in August and I was like okay looking at my watch okay well that's not far off like is there any wiggle room you know so that's how I know that um so poor Ingemar, he was accused of murdering his beloved wife the community gossiped and pointed fingers so much that he had to leave. The police publicly outed him as a suspect. And the entire time, he was a grieving man suffering from a great loss. And he was confused as well. He wanted answers as much as anybody else wanted answers. But the police were just so honed in on trying to prove that he did this. And it wasn't until December of 2009 that police closed the case and made it public that it was a moose that had killed Agnita. Ingemar told a reporter that he eventually moved to Stockholm because he came home one day and someone in the area had placed a large fake moose in his yard, which is just a really fucked up thing to do. Someone in his community thought that his wife's death and him being branded a killer was a big joke and they wanted to poke fun at him. Well, it was no joke for him. This is absolute nightmare for him if that's not bad enough the country sweden wanted ingemar to pay for every day he was wrongfully held in jail for food and accommodation and that they would deduct the amount from his pension from his pension <laughs> this must be a european thing because we saw this exact situation in the Vitaly Kaliov case as well. I mean, Vitaly Kaliov, he was not innocent. He he did murder somebody. That is facts. But when he was held in prison, they were like, and then when he was released, they're like, oh, you owe us money for being in our prison. And that was in, in Switzerland. So I don't know. It must be, a, must be a European thing where if you go to jail and then you get out of jail, you have to reimburse the prison for food and rent I don't know that's crazy to me so Ingemar it, it's okay it's crazy to me in the situation like this like for Ingemar where he did nothing wrong and he was suffering being put in this cell while grieving the loss of his wife and being branded as a murderer and then they're like pay us for that experience <laughs> 
Ingemar, he still has a good sense of humor and and he says that they must want him to pay for all the good meals he had in jail. And I'm assuming he was being sarcastic. I'm, I'm just assuming that was a joke. So he's still got a bit of a sense of humor going there. Uh, Ingemar, he has never received an apology from the police. Uh, as you can imagine, he's bitter about all of this, uh, rightfully so. He did sue for roughly 57000 US dollars for pain and suffering and loss of income. But as far as I know, he he did not receive that that payout and I think that was around 2015 that uh that article came out that I read that in but I hope he does I really hope that he gets compensated one of the investigators on the case did admit that the investigation was a failure from the beginning in a nine page letter he wrote to Ingemar which means police they know they did a shit job and I'm guessing that if they publicly apologize, it will look like an admission of guilt. And maybe that's why they never apologized. Maybe it's a legal thing. The investigator that wrote him that nine-page letter, he, I'm not sure if he was retired at the time he wrote the letter, but I did read that he was retired and Ingemar got this letter. So again, I'm, I had to translate all of this. So things got a little bit muddled so I don't know if that investigator had retired at the time he wrote this nine-page letter or if he did it while he was still an investigator like since I translated these articles from Swedish to English there was a bit lost in translation but I knew I do know that there was a a book written about this case and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Swedish name for it but I did translate it and it's called On Unlikely Reason by Hans Dukler. I could be totally slaughtering that last name. D-U-K-L-E-R, Dukler. If a version of this book gets printed in English, I will for sure read it. Mm. I should also say that uh, the coroner also admitted that he made a misjudgment in this case. So there, the coroner's admitting it, the investigator's admitting it. There's just, this, it was just a really... It was a really poor investigation. I'm I'm really glad that Ingemar was eventually cleared and they got to the bottom of what happened to Ignita, but it, you know, it hurt a lot of people along the way. And yeah, just bad investigating, bad investigation. In 2015, Ingemar was 75 years old and he just wanted to be compensated for his pain and suffering so he could use his restitution funds on his children and many grandchildren who he he lived near at that time and and possibly still lives near and he just wanted to try to live the rest of his life in peace he just wanted he you know he knows he's getting old he knows he doesn't have much time left he just wants to live in peace get this money spend it on his grandchildren and just try to be happy by the way, I ought to throw this in. He kept yoke. He kept the family dog. And you can look up pictures of him cuddling the dog. And it is super cute. He, yeah, he he keeps yoke. So how crazy is that case? It turned out a moose did it. And for some reason, it took police over a year to figure that out. Even though all the evidence was right there. It was, it would have been blinding all of the evidence. Surely the ground would have been torn up with hoof prints. I mean, there was a terrible confrontation 
between Agnita and this crazed moose. The hoof prints, the whole ground would have been torn up. I don't know. It just really surprises me that this case even exists, to be honest. There's a lot of elements that I'm like, whoa, what? How many moose do people kill a year? I, you know, I don't know. Before I wrap up this case, I just want to uh, jump back to what I was saying earlier about the flail chest injury. This really reminded me of the Dyatlov Pass incident because one or more, I, I can't exactly remember, but for sure at least one of those hikers was found with a similar injury. And I remember talking about it in my third episode. So this is going back a ways. This is going back a long time. This is episode 65. I covered Dyatlov Pass as my third episode. So I can't exactly recall. I did read off the autopsy reports though for every hiker and one of them, I know at least one of them was flail chest. So I was like, I've seen this injury before and that's where I saw it. So in the Datlov Pass uh, case, they described this injury, this flail chest injury to this deceased hiker that was found in remote Russia, um, that his chest was crushed as if he was hit by a car, but there was no bruising and the cause of death was flail chest and I thought what the hell could cause that because nobody knows why the Russian hikers fled from their tents into the elements and had similar injuries and appeared they were it to me it appears like they were quickly trying to flee from something and that's why they all ran out of the tent in sub-zero arctic temperatures with no boots no winter jackets you know very ill-prepared maybe it was a moose attacking their tent and they all ran but um, in that case it's it's quite strange because the injury is a flail chest but there was no bruising to the soft tissue and the cause of death was the flail chest so I don't know was a moose involved maybe this decades-long unsolved mystery was all caused by an angry moose and I had another thought. In the Dyatlov Pass investigation, radiation was discovered. And this this is me going very into outer space with this theory. This isn't something I particularly believe, but it's just something I thought about. Maybe this moves, because I believe they were testing um, nuclear weapons in the area where these hikers were found. and And that's... Uh, maybe why there was radiation detected. Uh, but maybe there was this crazed radioactive moose out there. And it just, this is, you know, this was Diet Love Pass. Maybe it was a radioactive moose. <laughs> I don't actually believe that. Just so you know, I do not actually believe that. But it's just a thought I had. I mean, it, it getting back to the moose theory, forget about the radioactive moose. Just let's just stick with the normal moose theory that would explain why the two men climbed that tree it would actually explain a lot if you think about it the moose made everyone flee from the tent and then and then the russian winter elements killed the hikers and these were all survivalists these weren't weekend hikers these were russian outdoor survivalists and they all were found dead, lacking 
their essential equipment for being out in the cold and their tent was found all all ripped up all torn up I don't know because some of them were missing their eyes and tongues that could be from animals that could be from crows but then some of them had their necks broken in a way that was similar to say how special forces would break somebody's neck I don't know if you have no idea what I'm talking about, please listen to episode three, which is the Dyatlov Pass incident. Maybe weigh in on, on TikTok or on Instagram if you think maybe a moose is behind the Dyatlov Pass incident. I, it's, I don't know. I'm going to go over the evidence again and try to piece it together because I think there might have been a moose involved. The Dyatlov Pass incident, it is one case I think about a lot still. Because it's it's unsolved and there's just so many weird elements to it. It's it's so strange. And the fact that we can look at the autopsy reports from each person and you can see these detailed injuries. You can um, find out what they were wearing when their bodies were discovered. Some of them had burns on them. Some of them had some of them tested positive for radiation on their clothes. And it was just like a, a slew of very odd injuries and none of them survived nobody survived it's still it's still unsolved so i'll i'll be thinking about the dial of pass incident for the rest of my life to be honest i mean what the hell happened to those russian survivalists on that track what happened what happened okay well that concludes this week's twisted episode thanks for sticking with me through that rant about dial of pass <laughs> i did it at the end for a reason what I will say is to that aggressive murdering moose that was never caught, that was left out there running around, which is terrifying, to that moose, I say hell no. Just hell no, moose. Hell no, a true crime podcast is on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to give me a follow there, I would love to see you and hear from you. If you would be so kind to share this podcast with your friends, other true crime listeners, that would be wonderful. And maybe even give me a five-star rating on whichever platform you are listening on. I would really uh, appreciate that. It helps my podcast grow. It helps other people find it. If you want to leave a, a review, I would love that as well. Thanks for listening and see you next week.